Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the podcast, My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens and in My Time Capsule, I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. But of those five things, one must be something they regret and would like to banish from their life by burying it in the ground. Doing just that in this episode is the stand-up comedian, Sean Walsh. Sean started doing stand-up in 2006, supporting Stephen K. Amos on a number of tours and winning several awards, including the Chortle Best Newcomer. He was the resident host at Brighton's Comedia Club, has performed a number of times at the Edinburgh Festival. He's been in 8 Out of 10 Cats, Argumental, Mock the Week, Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow, Nevermind the Buzzcock, Celebrity Juice, Tonight at the London Palladium and the Netflix show Flinch. He's toured the country four times with his own stand-up show, presents a weekly show on FUBAR Radio with his friend Mark Simmons, and made it to week six of Strictly Come Dancing, when people noticed there was more coming than dancing, and he was voted off. So, let's find out what the lovely Sean Walsh would like to put in a time capsule. I bet it's not a pair of tap shoes. I can't believe that actually it's... What are we? I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, God, I saw Sean in the summer at Edinburgh, and I was thinking, no, 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 summer before. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Terrible. I never managed to catch the play. I was do- I did that <laughs> awful thing that you do in Edinburgh when you say, oh, I promise I'll come. I'm definitely coming. <laughs> yeah, and yours was the only thing that I promised myself I was going to go and see, and I, d- I didn't even see that. <laughs> <laughs> there are too many bars. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just what can you do? You think to yourself, shall I go and see a show? Shall I sit in a lecture hall for an hour? Or shall I go and stand in a bar and talk to some mates? <laughs> I, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Did you see anything? Not a lot. Not a lot, no. 
It was bloody brilliant, though. Imagine if this summer they managed to get it going again. Would you be going? I'd be tempted to if, you know... I mean, I sort of feel if it happens, I'd like to go just to go. Yes. I'm not... You know, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it. Do you know, I've never been sort of dedicated to it in that sort of sense that, you know, Arthur Smith and and so many other yeah. comedians are. We yeah. go every year. We have yeah. got to go to Edinburgh. And I go, well, August, don't you want to go on holiday? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. If I had the option of two weeks in Spain and three weeks in Edinburgh, I'd always pick Spain. Yes, exactly. How many times have you performed up there? God, I've done, I think, seven solo shows and two sort of package shows. So the nine. But I think I always felt the, the pressure of it too much. I felt the judgment... And I, d- I, d- I didn't take to it well. I never enjoyed it. I was always... It made me... If I'm honest with you, it made me feel bad. I felt like you were sort of... Maybe you feel it more predominantly as a comic, but I think that you felt the ugly side of, I suppose, the industry yeah. was so enhanced. It wasn't beating the, the, um, the element that was performing. You know, say a normal gig in London or a normal tour show, you do the gig, you do the tour show, and really how you feel about that tour show rests on how it went that night. And that's it, and that's all it is. Mm. But in Edinburgh, you lived in this in this dimension where you could go and you could do a show that you thought was, you know, was your was your best <laughs> performance, and then suddenly there was a two star review, and so you never, you never felt protected by even you thinking it would, had gone well. That was never enough. And also that showcase element of it. Exactly. You know, you say you'd bump into someone who you thought, oh my god, you know, so you meet some sort of television executive, and then you say, did you see? They say, oh no, we meant to come. Oh god, we're going to go back tomorrow. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you think, what was the point? What was the point? Yes. My problem with that is that all those people are sort of contemporaries of mine. So, in fact, they're either contemporaries (laughs) or younger. (laughs) Yeah. I still regard them as being sort of like runners. Yes. In my mind, that's what they are. And they now run television. Whenever anything like that is mentioned, my experience of that was... I, once upon a time, there was a gig in Piccadilly Circus and I did it and it went well enough. I'd not been going long. I think I'd been going under a year and it went well enough. And there was this double act and they had a dreadful show. They died. It was horrific. You know, you're embarrassed to talk to them afterwards. All of, you know, all the, <laughs> the, 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 the rest of it, you can't even look at them in the eyes. <laughs> and then about a year later... I had a meeting for a big television show and it was with the guy from the double act. Mm. And I thought, you you can't even do this. And you're interviewing me. <laughs> How there you dare go. you. I know, exactly. How <laughs> dare you. How dare you judge whether I'm any good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is true. That happens a lot. It does happen a lot. Because actually, it's a. I think television executives, I'll never work again. I don't care. I, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that what yeah. happens is they're failed performers. <laughs> I all, it's terrible. I always say that. That's awful, isn't it? It's so awful. 
I always think anyone. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I don't want. No, I can't. <laughs> no, no. Don't don't follow me down this rabbit hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You've got a future. Yeah, yeah. My future is behind me. <laughs> it is now. Yeah, after that. Oh, anyway, Sean, we're going to talk yes. about five things that you. Well, four of them that you treasure, and one that you want to get rid of. <laughs> Chuck it away. Yes. So uh, yes. have you come up with any? I have. I think, you know, in no particular order. Mm. I would like to take with me, and although you might not appreciate it, I would like to take with me Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take you. Is that, am I allowed for that? Am I allowed to of take a human being? Yeah. I'm going to take him because he had such a profound effect on my life. And what I ended up doing with my life, I, I sort of can boil down really to him. If it all sort of tracks back to him. There's there's a bit before, you know, my mum used to sit me in front of the television on Saturday mornings. They would still play Chaplin and they would still mm-hmm. play Laurel and Hardy. And I sort of remember that. And my mum tells me that that's where I was happiest and most content was watching mm-hmm. Chaplin and, and Laurel and Hardy. But I don't really remember it. And what I do remember was seeing Ace Ventura Pet Detective for the first time. <laughs> and Ace Ventura Pet Detective is a 12. I wasn't 12. I was still living in London. So certainly I was 10 or, or 10 or 9. Yeah. And I just, I never seen anything like this. You know, I was a child and to me... Adults were parents and teachers. That's what adults were. They were the people that told you to not misbehave. That's what they were to me. Mm -hmm. They disciplined. The teacher was, stop doing that, and your parents are, be careful, don't do that. And they're really the the fun brigade. They put out fun. That's their job (laughs) as adults. And then there was this adult, and he was behaving like a child and he was pulling funny faces and he was making funny noises. <laughs> yeah. And I just couldn't believe it. I would laugh so much. And I had so, as you do <laughs> when you're that age, I could rewatch and rewatch. I mean, I could seriously wake up, watch Ace Ventura over and over again until I went to sleep. That's how I was as a child. Mm. And I would practice. In the mirror, I would, this was a, yeah, so I would have been in year sort of five or six at school, primary school, and I would, I remember being in my my bathroom in Lewisham, and I would be practising in the mirror how Jim Carrey can do that thing where you raise an eyebrow and the other one and up and down and up and down. And I would go into the bathroom and I would hold down one eyebrow (laughs) raise them both whilst holding one down for ages and sort of training this muscle to keep this eyebrow down. And then I would do the other one and I would just try and imitate everything that Jim Carrey was doing in Ace Ventura. And really that's where performance started. Mm. And I I then went, and it sounds mad, I would perform sketches at lunchtime. (laughs) I I would put on a show and I... I, (laughs) <laughs> and all the rest of the boys were playing football with a, a, tennis, a tennis ball. And, and then the, 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 I was amazed. I mean, I felt like a beetle. The, the girls would watch me do this sketch show. And I know this oh, is. Oh, you weren't daft then. <laughs> <laughs> it's been all downhill since there. That was the peak of yes. my career. 
But I, and it's like, sometimes, you know, the older you get, you start going, I don't know if you have this, I, I start almost mistrusting my memory and going, that cannot be real. But a memory that I, I hold, that I certainly hope is real, is that I went to a Catholic school in, in, in South London for, for a, a couple of years, St Winifred's, and um, how lunchtime worked was the bell would go, you would freeze, and you would all pack up your stuff, and then there would be a second bell which would allow you to leave the room to go to lunch. Yeah. And the bell rang, and I looked out of the classroom window, and I saw girls running to get to the front row of my lunchtime show. (laughs) (laughs) The best gigs you've ever done. (laughs) And it was just... I remember I couldn't believe it. Yeah. They're running to the wall. They want to sit on the wall. And it was just... um, it was just unbelievable. And, and, and so, you know, obviously, cut to years later, I end up being a comedian and I end up, you know, doing lots of wonderful things that are unimaginable and, and dreams come true, etc. And really, that, for me, all goes all the way back to seeing Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. He's really extreme in those films, isn't he? Yes. He doesn't hold back at all. It must be awful to perform with, I imagine. <laughs> You know, but but yeah. but he yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But his characters are always sort of working on a different, or his performance is working on a different reality to the world that the film is set in, and I, I love that as well. Yeah. And, uh, I suppose it's focus pulling, really. But it's, it's just all. It's it's just you want to watch. Sort of sounds vulgar, but you want to watch talent. You want to watch people where you you're amazed and you go, I can't do that. Look at that energy that he's putting into these performances. Mm. Um, and you know, and obviously, in years later, he would go on to do dramas, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is is actually one of my favourite films. And beautiful dramas. I mean, really well yes. acted. So I mean, absolutely. I feel that with his career, that what he's done is he's just sort of reined it in. Yes. Over a number of years, you can see him sort of reining it in. And then he gets to the point with those films where in fact he's he's reined it in. So it's a it's an astonishingly realistic performance. Yes. So he could always do it. And actually if you follow him on Twitter or any of those sort of things and he's always posting little videos of those crazy things. Really? Yeah. So clearly he loves them. He still loves them and he's not ashamed of them at all. He's very proud of it. I think sometimes, believe it or not, as a comic, you have to sort of... Or I I, I certainly do, but I know friends do that are, that are comedians. You have to sort of almost remind yourself to not take yourself seriously. And when I'm at my... I, well, I think if I'm allowed to sort of talk about myself in this way, but when I feel like I'm at my best, which is obviously when I'm enjoying it the most, mm. is when I'm suddenly any idea of being self-conscious physically, verbally, is completely gone. And suddenly <laughs> it's just... You're just an energy and you're just, oh, God, I sound awful, but... What, no, I, I know what you mean. Anything you do is sort of going to work in a way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes you have your act, you have your set, and then other times something happens and I don't... I wish I knew, I wish <laughs> I knew what it was, but you come off stage and, and I actually think, God, what just happened? Yeah. And that, that's the best for me. Mm. Yeah, particularly when you will have performed that routine 
And you think you know it inside out. You think, I, I know what I'm doing here. Yes. I know exactly what the timing is. I know when I look, when I turn. I know all those things. And yes. suddenly, it's completely new. Totally. That's yeah, it. Yeah, amazing. Um, I also met him, by the way. Did you? Have you met Jim Carrey? I've never met Jim Carrey. I, I am a great fan of Jim Carrey's as well, I have to say. Have you met a hero? You know, I, I, I'm going to use the term hero. Have you, have you met your heroes? Uh, I've, well, I sort of... My heroes are, are usually sporting heroes, not, right, not acting okay. heroes. And I have met people like Judy Dench and Ian McKellen, so it's those sort of things, you know. Right. Great moments. Yes. Uh, I, I, I was at the Montreal Comedy Festival a few years back... And, you know, this is sort of the biggest comedy festival in the world. I know Edinburgh is the biggest arts festival, but this is, you know, this is the North American festival. This is where all the sort of big producers, agents go to. And I ended up somehow becoming friendly. I can't even remember how. I became friendly with this this guy that worked for the festival. And then he said, you know, you know, well, what are you up to? And I said, nothing really. I'm just trying to find a show or something to watch. Mm. And he got out the timetable. And it was the Just for Laughs award ceremony. And Jim Carrey was accepting the Life Achievement Award. And he sort of pointed this out to me. He said, well, actually, you know, if if you get there in 10 minutes, you'll get to see him accepting the award. (laughs) And this guy could get me in. So we ran (laughs) to the auditorium where this... It was an auditorium. It's one of those big, you know, sort of corporate ballrooms Mm. uh, where this award ceremony was taking place. And he manages to get me in, and I stand at the back, and Jim Carrey is just across the ballroom from me. It's really not far. I can't believe I'm, I'm looking at him in real life. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed at this. And in this speech, he's, he's talking about... I don't know if you've, you know, read any of this, of, of the sort of... the things he talks about publicly now, or certainly did for a period, but this idea of duality. We are all one thing. There is no object. We are... We are the air, the air is us. That was, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I can't, you know. I'm reading about things like that all the time. I just can't stop it. Right. I'm, I'm fascinated with it. Yes. Mm. Good. Good. It sounds to me like a conversation I might have had at a kitchen in 4am at some point, but, but I wasn't expecting to hear it at an award ceremony. But he, he, he accepts this award and he sits down at the front and I sort of realise, I don't know, I'm not like this really. Well, maybe I am. No, I must be, because I did it. I realised when this ends, as the crowd are coming out, if I walk through this crowd as they're coming towards me, I can get to him (laughs) and I can just shake his hand and say, I love you, you changed my life. That's all I need to do. Mm -hmm. And so it ends and the crowd get up and they're walking towards me and I'm walking through them. I don't know what, what what you were like in your 20s or late teens, but if you've ever sort of pulled an all-nighter and you're going home as everyone's going to work... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like everyone's sort of going this way and you're going the other way. It was like that, and I'm... I'm storming through my adrenaline. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet Jim Carrey. I'm going to touch him. And David Baddiel stops me. And I don't really know David. I've had one sort of brief conversation with him where we bumped into each other in the corridor earlier in the festival. We, we got along with a nice exchange. Mm. And he sort of stops me to say hello. And I just go, I, David, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't talk. <laughs> Jim Carrey is there. He's the reason I'm, I'm, I do everything I do today. I'm sorry, I have to go, I have to go. And he says to me, well, actually, um, I've been told that Jim Carrey came to my show or saw me do a spot, a showcase, a bit of my show. And Jim Carrey is a fan of mine. So maybe I can, you know, maybe I can get to him 
and introduce you. So now Badil's with me. <laughs> and now Badil's leading me to Jim Carrey, uh, <laughs> you know, sort of like, he's holding my hand almost, you know, like we're, like we're, off, to, we're off to the toilet. <laughs> and suddenly Robin Williams came up and said, I can get you to him. There's a great phalanx of you. All the great comics in the world gathered together around you and said, we must do this. Richard Pryor (laughs) descended (laughs) from the ceiling. Um, So we're just about to get to Kerry. And then him and Judd Apatow get up together, step onto stage... And walk off no. into outside stage. And I think, well, that's it. Mm. But Deal grabs me and just yanks me onto the stage. It's the sexiest he's ever been. And we walk <laughs> onto the stage. No security gets us. And we go side stage where Jim Carrey and Jan Apatow have pulled off into the, the, the sort of green room area. Mm. And that's it now. There's a bouncer. There's no way in. And then we meet Jimmy Carr. <laughs> 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 I was right. <laughs> and David says to Jimmy Carr, I don't really know Jimmy. David says, look, look, Sh- Sean needs to meet Jim Carrey. Can you can you help? And Jimmy just does that thing that you you dream of as a young man to, to, to be. But even to be with the man that's doing it was enough. And Jimmy looks at the bouncer and says, They're with me. Oh. And you go, oh God. I've arrived. I'm with the guy that says they're with me. (laughs) (laughs) And so we go in to this green room and Jimmy Carr is talking to Jim Carrey. I'm sort of stood to the side with with Badil and we're sort of watching Carrey and and Jimmy Carr talk. And and Jimmy says to Jim Carrey, look, Jim, this is... This is Sean. Uh, you're the reason, you know, that he does comedy, and, and we sort, you know, we all sort of joke, yeah, it's it's your fault. <laughs> and then, and uh, he says, "Nice to meet you." And I'm so, I just stare at him whilst he continues talking to Jimmy, and then I, I, I sort of get my phone out for a selfie, but my phone's died, <sighs> and I'm so starstruck. He goes to say bye. He says bye. You know, very kind. He's talking about duality again, <laughs> and then. Uh, he leaves, and I was so starstruck. I didn't think to say to Jimmy or David, like, can you take the selfie and send it to me? Yeah. It just didn't occur to me. I was too full of ad- adrenaline and amazement. And so now on my desk, in my sort of office space, in my flat, I just have a framed piece of paper that says, you met Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> and you conjure up the picture in your head. Yes. That's enough. Oh, that's there fantastic. You go. Well, there you are. So that proves, first of all, that Jimmy Carr, he's well up the ladder, isn't he? Oh, he's A-list, yes. yeah, yeah. But yeah, also yeah. that nothing stops Badil. Nothing <laughs> yeah, stops Badil. Yeah. Oh, Sean, I am going to take the wonderful Jim Carrey and I'm going to put him in your time oh, capsule. And what I'm going to do is Excellent. I'm going to sit him on the wall at your school. Oh, lovely. Waiting for you. <laughs> he'll step forward to start talking about duality and he'll say, look, Jim, I'm just about to do a gig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. That's really um, brilliant. Yeah. I am definitely going to use the phrase fun brigade. It's, it's, did you just make that up? <laughs> have you used it before? Yes. Just, well, no, I think I made it up. Yeah. I mean, when you said it, the fun brigade, it sounds as if there are people who go around creating fun. But when you say the fun brigade, they're the people who put out fun. It becomes yeah, yeah, just yeah. 
It's one of the most lovely descriptions I've heard for a long time. It's going in my book, I tell you oh, that. Too. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, Sean, so that's, that's one item we put in there. So um, what else have you got? So um, one of them is a bit of a strange one. I, you know, I looked and you said you could take a memory, you could even take a country. Mm. I'm going to take an area. Right. And that area is... This makes me sound extremely pompous, but I really thought about this, and I thought, no, I mean it. I really would. Is um, West London? <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? If you love it, I adore it. I absolutely adore it. So you're from Lewisham, so you're not going to put South East London in? No, no, no. no, no. I'm not going to take Lewisham with me <laughs> in a time capsule. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I know it's on the up, but let's give it a, another five years. Now, I lived in Lewisham for a spell before my parents then uh, took us, myself and my brother, to Brighton. Mm. And really, I think of myself as a, as a Brighton boy from the, from the sort of age of 11. I think that's what sort of did the, the, most, the most work on me, if, if you will. Mm. And it's left a stamp, the, you know, the sort of bohemian and the freedom that bright, the artistic freedom and, mm-hmm. you know, the creative freedom you have. But, you know, even though I was brought up in Brighton, it wasn't when people tend to imagine Brighton, whenever you mention Brighton, every single, you know, pedestrian of London says, oh, yeah, we were thinking of moving to Brighton. Everyone has always <laughs> thought of moving to Brighton. But, they, you know, they think of the beach, they think of the lanes, uh, the pavilion gardens and whatnot. But I actually lived on the outskirts and you don't want to be too sort of harsh on your, on, on, on your upbringing. But, you know, I go back when I visit my parents, it, it, it's, it's, it's a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, it's not a wealthy area. No. It's, a, it's a very working class area. I, I wasn't brought up in, in, the, in the estate, but we were next to an estate. It's actually called Meadowview, right. which is an estate, it, basically up a hill when you're on the way to the university. Yep. Yep. You turn right, there's a sort of big hill that goes towards the race course. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a deprived area and, and there's, there's poverty. It's not, you know, it's, I'm not making out that it's the ghetto, <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's a pretty sight compared to what I get to walk around now and I I feel like I, it's a bit crass, but like I, I, I get to walk around Western London, Holland Park. I don't live in Holland Park. I sort of live at Shepherd's Bush, Hammersmith, mm. uh, borderline. If I turn left, I'm in Hammersmith. If I turn right, I'm in Shepherd's Bush. And you get two very different sort of tastes of life. Yeah. You know, you've got Holland Park and then you've got the Thames and you've got this, be- you know, I walk, stroll to Notting Hill and this Victorian architecture with these different coloured buildings and it's so peaceful and you end up walking down the street. You know these streets, it's very middle class when you end up on a, on a street where you sort of feel inclined. It's so beautiful you feel inclined to whisper. <laughs> and I walk, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing is walking around those areas. And I love it and I love how peaceful it is and it makes me feel like I... Oh, God, it's a bit cringeworthy, but it makes me feel like I got somewhere in life because, I, I you know, it's... It's no, it, it doesn't really mirror m- much of my upbringing. No. Uh, and so it's my, where a rapper might have a, a flash car and some jewellery, my bling is my coffee from a boutique coffee house, <laughs> an artisan coffee. Yeah. That's my bling. And it's very, it's very strange because as a comedian, obviously I, I end up finding a lot about the world through the voices of comics. And obviously, you know, Stand-up comedy is is flooded with with middle class 
comics, which are great, mm-hmm. but there's, it comes with that middle-class guilt. And I don't have that middle-class guilt because I don't, I'm not middle-class. I don't come from a middle-class background. And so I feel like I've earned... I'm very proud... I think it's unique because I don't... Apart from my friend Carl Donnelly, who's a great comic, comes from a similar background to me. I think he was brought up in an estate and has sort of climbed the social ladder. I think that really um, has uh, led us bond. You don't forget where you've come from, but you really appreciate the stuff you're in. You don't forget where you come from. Absolutely you don't. But at the same time, it's strange because... That phrase, you don't forget where you come from, it's, it's usually got a, uh, a sort of positive connotation mm-hmm. with it. You know, this person hasn't forgotten where he's coming from. Mm. But actually, you know what the truth is, and I don't really know how to explore this, but, but actually, I, I almost want to. I do want to forget where I came from, and I want to, I want to move forward, and I want to live in a nicer area and, and live a, a sort of more peaceful life i suppose i come from quite a not a broken home but my you know my dad has demons and all of that stuff certainly wasn't a peaceful upbringing i suppose if you come from a situation which in fact then makes you feel bad about being somewhere that is really pleasant and nice you know rather than thinking yeah this is good why can't everybody do this this is the way it should be for people we should be living in these lovely houses we should have nice gardens yeah why not (laughs) yeah what's your favorite part then of west london do you know i god i don't know its name but it's it's sort of off Portobello, these giant Victorian houses. I can't remember its name. It'll come to me later. These giant houses that aren't flats. You know, they're still... They're still I live in a little flat. And these massive giant houses. <laughs> and, um, and they're all different, you know, sort of pastel blue. And then the next one's yellow and the next one's orange and the next one's pink. And, mm. and you can sort of... I'm terrible. I'll walk through, you know, down the street and I'm, I'll look through the window... The, you know, the living room window, and it seems to go, it's just go on forever, miles until it gets to the garden. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I, I love it. So, um, you know, and, and Notting Hill in the summer, you've got those those buildings with the blue sky in the background, and I just, I just adore it. And sometimes I cycle there, and sometimes I walk there, and you've obviously got Portobello, and, and there's a little, there's a little park in, was it Lock? Lockdown one. Was it mm. lockdown one? There was a sort of, there was this bit where you could, it was sort of before masks, but where some of the cafes were open. And yeah. I would walk to this cafe in Notting Hill and I'd get my coffee. I think it's called Good Coffee. That's the name. And I'd get my <laughs> coffee and then I would sit in this little green, there's a little square off Portobello that's just this little sort of, it looks like it could be a private garden, but it's not. And you saw so just sitting there and I'd sit on the bench and read the paper in the sun, and then I'd walk back. Heaven. Absolute heaven. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and there's no reason to feel guilty about admiring those places. Yeah, know? no. It would be very nice if we could all live like the people that live in Notting Hill, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it would. Yes. Indeed. There's a place near me that I like to walk past, a row of Decimus Burton houses that has their own private parkland in front of them, right in the middle of the town centre, this is. Wow. And they're beautiful, yeah. sort of Tunbridge Wells stone. Every single one of them is different from the others. And they all have large driveways, beautiful gardens. And until recently, I think Bob Mortimer owned one of them. 
<laughs> if only I were as funny as him. If only. <laughs> yeah. Or if you, yeah, if you had thought of the idea of doing fishing as a programme. If only we had thought of that. <laughs> That's it. All I needed to be able to do was be someone else. Sean, I'm going to put West London into your time capsule for you Thank you Right, so that's two items, what's number three? We're going to take a short break here We'll be back with Sean Walsh in two flicks of a lamb's tail Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods For 50 to 80% less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Sorry about the spell, bloody sheep. Okay, let's hear what else Sean Walsh wants to put in his time capsule. Number three, then, is um, a a comedy course. Mm. When I was 17, my my mum used to take me to the Comedia in Brighton, which is sort of... It's a theatre venue, but it's it's also sort of like Brighton's comedy store. Comedia with a K. Yes, Comedia with a K. And it was the first time that I discovered that... And I don't understand really the logic that I had, but it was the first time that I discovered that you 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 could do comedy and not be famous. I didn't really understand <laughs> that. That these comedians, these famous names and faces that we know, come from somewhere. Yeah. And this is where they come from. You mean anyone could hang on a second. I can just get up here and do this. And you knew you had an advantage as well because you could move both eyebrows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was huge in year 10. I could make a comeback. Um, <laughs> but there would, you know, the the host would introduce the act. The act would come on. You didn't know this guy. And everything they said was the funniest thing you'd ever heard. <laughs> you know, the comedian I think was like 250 people, 300 people max. These guys were storming the room. I couldn't 
believe it. It was it was like that Jim Carrey moment. It was life changing, but I felt it a lot more because you know I didn't know when watching Ace Ventura that you know I didn't know the effect it was going to have. But certainly on this night when I was seventeen, I knew, oh well, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I didn't know I could do that. I'm good. This is what I'm going to do. <laughs> so. I sort of became addicted to going to the Comedio. I would try and drag friends along. I went so often that the security began to know my face and just let me in. But like, I was that weirdo. It's that weirdo again. He just sort of turns up on his own. Just go on, mate. And I would just... I mean, I wouldn't study. That's not true. I would I would just... It was heaven. It was, yeah. it was heaven. I would sit there and I felt like I understood these comics more than everyone else because I felt like, this is how I see the world. This is like I'm talking to sort of my closest friends. This is, this is how I sound in my head, the way these guys are talking. Oh, wow. It got to a point where I put down, I was then at college, I was at sixth form college. I'd been booted out of one sixth form college. I had no qualifications or anything. I was doing retakes at the college that I was booted out of. And I was now at a college outside of Brighton in Lewis. And I I thought, I'm going to do this. And I put my name down for a new act night. But I kept bottling it and not turning up. And then one night I saw an act at the Comedia. And it was the first time, basically, what had happened is I'd been going so much that I started to, which is sort of a good and a bad thing, but I started to acquire a taste. So from where we were, where it's just, you could see anything up there. I thought you were a, a god. <laughs> I started to, yeah, acquire a taste. And well, why did he do that? He could, have, he could have said this. And then it got to the point where there was one night, I'd, I'd had a few beers, so I was half cut and the confidence was there. And I asked, oh, is that um, open mic night still going? And it wasn't, but there was this course. So that was, I promised myself, if I do the course, I would have paid to do the course. It'll be 12 weeks. There's a gig at the end. I'll have to do it because I've paid. It will trap me. And me and my one of my best friends at the time, Rich... We walked down to the Comedia together. He was a very funny man. He's a very funny man. We're going to do the course together. And we got down, and there was only one space left. And Rich has been so successful. He's like, what a career. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, was with, I was with Richard Osman. Um, <laughs> um, and, uh, but we just decided on it because, because I, it was my idea. So that was yeah. it. Well, it was my idea. I suppose I'll do it. And this, I mean, didn't like school. I was very lost. I didn't, I didn't know where my, I never, it's all the, it's all the sort of, you know, the cliches that come with those teen years when you, you never feel like you fit in. I remember someone used the word uh, eccentric. They were using it of me when I was walking <laughs> home from school once. And I didn't know what it was. I was like, well, what's eccentric? And they were like, you know, weird or weird. And not in a bad way. They weren't being horrible. I took it as a compliment. I liked it. I liked that I was weird and different. But I certainly didn't feel like I belonged in any sort of part, any group. I never felt like I was actually belonged to anything. And then I did this course, and there were these misfits, and there were these people, all of these people in one way or another did not fit in. And we all came together, and I found these people that loved Comedy, not everyone. You know, some people there. It's you know, it's a confidence building exercise. You know, to do this course. But there were some people there that loved 
comedy and new comedians that I didn't know. Bill Hicks, who I sort of knew about, but I didn't know his work. Yeah. And I would say that was the best period of my life, was starting out comedy. Uh, so did they bring in stand-up comedians to talk to you? And- Absolutely. So this course, by the way, the, the woman who I'm um, very grateful to and for is, is Jill Edwards, and she runs this course in Brighton. And like Jimmy Carr did it, Sheppy Cassandy, Simon Evans, Hal Cruttenden. So lots of sort of, you know, these names that go on to have a great um, library of work. And so he, the, the, the comedian she got in, this is, this is fantastic, the comedian she got in to do the talk was the host of that night that my mum took me to, a man <laughs> called Stephen Grant, and he is now my friend. Very, very uh, weird. Fantastic. <laughs> so strange. And I, rem- like, I remember what he was wearing when I first saw him. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sorry, Stephen, but I d- a ludicrously dressed man. He mm. was wearing a yellow T-shirt with a red uh, jule. <laughs> he looked like he worked in McDonald's. <laughs> uh, but, um, what was his catchphrase? Was it, would you like fries with that? Stephen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to understand that through the eyes of a 17-year-old that has never seen this before, I still remember it blew my mind saying, and this sort of thing gets a lot of criticism within comedy. I, I have absolutely nothing against it. I really, I think it's a craft in itself, but sort of going, what do you do for a living? And then this, you know, there'll be a response. And they'll have, he had anything, any job that... The, crowd would say he would have a lot how is he doing this <laughs> this guy's a genius and he knows and it's so what he'll do and you know i know i know his work so well sometimes like a someone in the front row might say a job and the comedian might not have a line for that job and might not be able to find something off the top of their head but will then be very quickly be able to sort of get to an idea that they do have Yes. And and make it seem, uh, you know, seamless, to make it flow seamlessly. Mm. So I can sometimes, someone in the front row says something, if I'm watching Stephen and I think, I know which one he's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's going to divert yes. this to. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. My brother was a lawyer, but then he became an accountant. <laughs> and the thing about accountants is... Very good. <laughs> exactly, that sort of thing, exactly. <laughs> but it just, it you know, that age, I was 20... And I, my first gig was sort of something like a week before my 21st birthday. Mm. And you're doing this thing that suddenly gives you a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning, and the future's ahead of you. And my, my best friend, Rich, who, who missed out on that term, did the following course with my best friend, Robin. <laughs> and I remember the night of their new act night where they did their gig... And we, the three of us, were walking down the middle of the road, sort of walking through the lanes, mm. and we were walking in the middle of the road, arms around each other, singing. It felt so real that the I thought the three of us would go on to be sort of almost like a comedy band. I thought <laughs> I was just like one of the single happiest moments of my life that I was doing what I'd dreamed of doing, and and I was doing it with my best friends, and we were going to go on and be stars, you know. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Anybody who listens to this and thinks, I'd like to be a stand-up comedian, any young person particularly, but even someone like me thinks, I want to do that course. Oh, right, yeah. God bless Comedia, that's what I say. Yes, absolutely. 
Lovely. All right. Well, that course goes into your time capsule. Thank you. Wonderful memory. Okay, we've got two left. So we've got one that you want to keep and one that you want to put in there because it means you won't have to look at it again. Yes. Um, Well, I suppose the last one that I want to keep, I struggled here a bit... My favourite film is Ghostbusters. My favourite band are Blink-182. But I <laughs> I felt like, actually, I'm going, if I'm allowed, I'm going to take another place. Mm-hmm. But this isn't, a, this isn't... Well, it is a town, I suppose, but it's, it's Glastonbury. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, and I mean the festival. It's a big time capsule. Okay. <laughs> yes, it's a very, very big time capsule. I've only been to Glastonbury twice. Right. And I, I didn't go from a, a early age or anything. So you didn't go to see it. You went to work there. That's how I did the first one. Yes, right. Is it, basically what happened is I had no interest in going to Glastonbury. I had absolutely no interest in sleeping in a tent, the mud, <laughs> I, all of this, all of that. that, that. You know, I was never. I've never someone that watched Glastonbury on television. I had no interest in in seeing live music. Even I, you know, I, when I was uh, in my late teens, when when people started to go to music gigs, I was going to the comedy club on my own. I just I didn't really care yeah. about live music. I always remember thinking that live music was just never as good as it was on CD. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> it's true. that's what I thought about. I just yeah. thought, why would anyone want to be there? I don't need all the, the big crowd. There's just nothing about it appealed to me. And then I got offered to go and do a spot there. And it's really for not much money, by the way. It's the same as sort of, of a regular club gig money, which normally you wouldn't get for a festival show. No. But you got a free ticket. You got two, two free tickets. And I thought, do you know what? Even though I really don't want to go, and I really don't want to go... This is one of those things that's that you know that's meant to be you know people say this is the best thing in their lives and this is the this is the thing they live for is this thing and I just want to go and see it I want to experience it I'm going to hate it I'm going to absolutely hate it but I just want to experience it and understand and know what it is that other people are talking about you know mm. and of course I went and I've now got a tattoo on my left arm of two stars, which are it's a, a review of mine from Edinburgh. No, it's a, a star for <laughs> each. It's a, it's a star for each of the, the times I went to Glastonbury because I had just in terms of of having a good time. Oh my god! Oh my! Oh my god! Glastonbury. I went the first time. I went. I was drinking. The second time I went. I wasn't drinking, and I still still both are the, are the best weekends I've ever had. I mean, it's it, all of the stuff. Have you have you been? I have been. Yeah, I mean, I've been once. Okay, and I went about five years ago. So look, right. I'm sixty three. Yeah, but so- I went because for exactly the same reason as you, and with the same trepidation because yes. I thought the last thing I want to do is be <laughs> in this bloody tent. Exactly. And we went to we performed. We had one gig, and they, my son said, "You've got to do it because then I can go to Glastonbury exactly. with you." Exactly. I said, okay, well, so father-son thing, I thought, yeah, let's do it. And uh, the tickets arrived, we drove there, we went in, uh, we set the tent up. I thought, oh, this is really uncomfortable, <laughs> this is cold. Yeah. And then the next day I met up with the people I was performing with and they all said, uh, where are you in the uh, accommodation? I said, I'm in the field over there. They said, no, there's special places for performers. <laughs> and actually, yeah, it was it was brilliant. I've got to have a disclaimer now, which is despite saying that 
you know, I've had two of the best weekends of, of my life there. I was also staying in, not a, not a sort of, Liam Gallagher's not walking around, but you've got the people from the, the circus tent and the, the theatre tent and we have a special cafe that we can go to. I actually forgot about that element of it. Despite saying that, uh, you know, I want to take this in the time capsule. If I had to stay in the bit where everyone else is staying, I would never go to Glastonbury ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot my phone. I'll be back in five hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, (laughs) But I just, you know, all of the cliches, the peace and love, all the stuff where I was going, oh, God, here we go, you know. Bunch of hippies, mm-hmm. everyone's stoned. <laughs> oh, yeah, just awful. And, and, and I, we camped up next to a group of people that were sort of acquaintances that I sort of knew in, from the business. You end up being like a sort of family for a couple of days. And, and I, did, I didn't really know Phil Jupiter's that well. And you just sort of spend a few hours with Phil. What delightful man. Everyone's smiling. Everyone is walking around like we're in love. I don't, I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I wasn't on ecstasy, you know, the whole time. Oh, I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the energy, it's so mm. hack and cliche, but oh my God, you're just in such a good mood from the point you wake up, the point you go to bed. And I also, I think I have to try and take this in the time capsule because... Glastonbury is the time that I've laughed the most in my life. And I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean sort of over the weekend. I, I mean, in one, one particular point where I really thought I'm struggling to breathe here. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to die. I'm going to die of laughter. This is a, what a way to go. <laughs> Comic dies of laughter. And it's, you know, I've bigged it up now, but I'm not saying this is the funniest thing that's ever happened. I'm saying in the moment I found this the funniest thing that had ever happened. It was the day that we're driving back from Glastonbury and we're very giddy. We're very giddy. You know, have you ever had those... You know when you're... That, 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 that bit in a hangover when you're, you think you've gotten away with it and you're in a really good mood, but actually realise, oh, no, I'm still <laughs> drunk. <laughs> yes. yes. We're sort of there. Probably shouldn't have been driving, in mm. hindsight. But and we're very cloudy, had a big, big weekend. And on the way back, as we did the year before, we go to a McDonald's drive through And with the McDonald's drive through you pull up to a sort of speaker uh, where mm. someone talks to you through the, you know, through the speaker and you make your order. And then you drive forward, you collect your order... I think you drive forward again, possibly, and you pay. I think it might be that. I think those are the stages. I can't, I can't remember. But you certainly make the order and then go and pick up your food. Mm. And my friend... <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the, the state that he would have been in to do this? Is he... He ordered... He ordered... <laughs> he, he ordered the McDonald's. <laughs> he, he drove off. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> <laughs> Leave a 
was real, <lacht> was real heißt. <lacht> oh my word. It's the most I've ever laughed, the most he's ever laughed, tears, pain. I think he genuinely, you know, because I nearly crashed the car. I think he did nearly crash the car. We, it was hysteric. It was hysteria. We, we, oh, um, brilliant. And then confronted by a completely stony-faced girl at the hatch. We had to go back. <laughs> and he had to walk in. I get it. Um, oh, no. And, yeah, so, th- so there you go. So peace and love. At Glastonbury, yeah, and uh, and and laughter, and uh, and uh, and also, by the way, I did, I, you know, the gig itself. I'll, t- I'll take this with me in the time capsule if I could take Glastonbury. But the gig itself, the first year I did it, I was in on a time slot where it was packed. The tent was packed, and uh, you know, I did my forty minutes or, or what have you, and it, it, it went down very well. I had a lovely time, and so I expect that basically that's how it's going to go the, the following time. And I arrive to find out that my time slot isn't as generous, and I, I'm <laughs> going to be on at something like I don't eight p.m. or nine p.m., where my gig is coinciding with Stormzy's. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> so I'm like, I, for a start, I'm gutted I don't get to go and see Stormzy. But I mean, the tent's going to be empty. I mean, what the hell is the point in this? <laughs> so I get up. I'm a sort of up. I've sort of accepted it by this point. You know, there's nothing I can do. What can I do about it? No one's going to be there. It's not my fault. It's you know, storms. No. And I walk on, and actually, there's not a big crowd. I'm not going to make out. There's a big crowd. There's a couple of handfuls of of people in this massive tent. But it's Glastonbury. It's the people that are there are smiling, and I'm sort of joking with them about why are you here. You know. And, of course, if they are there, they're there because exactly, they want to be. Absolutely. And I was joking that, you know, poor, poor Stormzy, no-one's gone to see him tonight, and uh, all of that <laughs> thing. And when I mentioned Stormzy, a woman in the front row went, what? Got up and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, uh, so there you go. That's fantastic, yes. We did 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> People were just stopping off at your show to sleep. Exactly. There were lots of people coming in because it was a bit drizzly. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> Everybody just lay down on the floor and, you know, we got a very nice response. But uh, It's Glastonbury. Glastonbury. Madness. But I got my two free tickets and spent the whole weekend there. It was Good. great fun. I'd like to go again. And, uh, and you can. You can have both those weekends. One sober, one drunk. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Into the time capsule. So we've got one left. <laughs> yes, but the one, the one left, I think. Um, uh, I don't know if you know, I had an experience on a dance show called Strictly Come Dancing. No, I've not heard a thing about no, it. No, what no, no. But I'm going to avoid talking about that because I don't, I don't want to be in the... I hate being in the papers and I'm always... Even saying Strictly Come Dancing, I go, God, are they going to write something again? So I, ignoring Strictly Come Dancing... Yeah. Quite right. Yes. It's over. Uh, yes, anyway. So <laughs> the, um, there's two really here. I, get, I, I sort of, despite, you know, we're doing the time capsule and you're talking about all the moments you would cherish, I do spend a lot of my time in regret. I live with quite a lot of regret. I regret 
things that I've done in my career and, and shouldn't have. I really, it, it weighs me down. So it's, there's a job one, which was a very tough experience when I was quite young and sort of new to television. Hmm. I've sort of teased it now and then I won't tell that one. And I'll, do the, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, tell, you th- I'll tell you this one though, because I just, it's just, I listened to your episode of Miles Jupp. Yeah. And Miles made a very good point which I also, I think we, I think anyone would agree with, that a lot of your perhaps regrettable decisions, events and, and things in your life, you know, actually go on to mould you into a better place, a better person or where you want to be or what have you. They're part of you, you know. Yes. So something that doesn't have that and actually there's no benefit to it whatsoever is is walking away from a Playoff final at half time. QPR, which is one of my, you know, that QPR Loftus Road would be in West London. So I've cheated there. I'm taking, I'm taking Loftus Road. Loftus Road is the reason I live in West London. It's the reason I moved here was so right. that I could walk to QPR. How did it's, QPR come about? How did that happen? My dad moved over from Dublin in the, uh, was it the late 70s or the 80s when QPR were Bowles and Marsh and Jerry Francis? Ah, uh, well, right? yes. So they were this sort of team that were competing at the top with Liverpool, I think. So really growing up, the, the, the you know, as I've sort of alluded to, you know, there was not a conventional upbringing there. We didn't have a table. We didn't have family dinner. We didn't go on family holidays. We didn't do any of that. That idyllic stuff did not, you know, does not exist in my upbringing. But the one thing that me and my dad and my brother had was that he took us to QPR. That was the sort of one thing that it felt like he did as a as a father, you know, was take us to the games. Mm. And he gave us QPR. And me and my brother, it's that's how we bond, you know. And my dad gave us that. Mm. And so with season ticket holders, I would uh, every year I would buy my my brother a season ticket so that we could go together and and um we get to the playoff finals in the championship. When fucking Wembley, this is just mad. We get to Wembley and um, it's QPR against Derby, mm. and you know the winner. The winner goes to to the Premier League, and this is just this is just dream stuff. This is just absolutely, and this is mad that this is actually I'm going to experience going to Wembley. But I've got a tour show in Shrewsbury or something that clashes with this date, and. I fuck yeah! I'm gonna, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna start crying. I'm just, I I just can't believe I um. Oh God, I'm so dramatic, so emotional. Talking <laughs> about comedy and then nearly crying because I. Me and my dad and my brother go. I try so hard to get out of this tour show, mm-hmm. and I'm begging my agent like, "Can I get a bike? You know, you know a taxi bike? Is, it, is there anything I can do so that I can go to QPR and watch the show? Can I? I'm begging you, please don't make me do this show." I can't get out of the show. And at half time at Wembley, I had to leave. I had to leave my dad, my brother, QPR, the one thing that we, that bonds us comfortably, at least, as a family. And I'm walking away down Wembley. Can you imagine this as an image? I always sort of imagine things very filmically. I'm walking away from Wembley, down Wembley Way at half time. It's silent. It's empty. Dead. Yes. Empty. And I am crying at that point. I can't uh. believe I'm walking away. And I get on the train. This is so weird. Look, 
Jimmy Carr's on my carriage. <laughs> I think he's stalking you. I know, I know. Jimmy Carr's there. And I, I'm just, I'm not okay. I'm not in a good place. And you're not going to believe it. It's nil-nil. Do you know what happened? I, you know, I don't. And I don't know what happened. This is what I missed. Don't tell me. Don't tell anyone. We'll stop the podcast now. <laughs> and people will be furious. Yeah. It goes nil-nil into injury time. And Bobby Samora scores a last-minute winner. Oh my god! I just, I can't. <laughs> I feel I feel sick. I feel I feel oh Christ. Oh. I just feel um, like even uh, just trying to oh just not be there and be there on, to not see it to not see it to not feel it. How will you never? I'm sorry. You will never. I will never. That 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 feeling that I missed out on. That is a once in a life. You do not get to ex- most people do not do not get to experience that in my in their lifetime. And no. I walked away from. You'll know it from the fucking Champions yep. League. Yeah, my. I goodness. do know exactly that feeling. I wasn't there to celebrate that goal with my dad, with my brother, and mm-hmm. instead I was on a quiet coach with Jimmy Carr. And how did the gig in Shrewsbury go? Well, I don't, I no idea, and I don't care. <laughs> no idea. Yeah, you're in a blind rage. Oh God, no, it was, it was oh. bleak. Yeah, so disappointed with yourself. Mm. There you go. So oh. walking away, John. Yet yeah, it's gone. Yes, thank it's you. It's gone. If anybody ever says to you, "Were you at the playoff game?" You go, "Yeah, yeah I was there." Yeah, felt yeah. it. Did you stay till the end? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I did. Yeah. What do you think? I am an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Euphoria. Yeah. Brilliant. It's gone. It's buried. Thank you. Oh, I feel better now. <laughs> and so do I. And I have to say, I have not laughed like that for a long time. So your oh, good. best laughed ever just gave me one of my best. Oh, ones. good. Thank you so That's much. lovely. Good. I'm glad. Really, really lovely. It's been great to talk to you. Lovely Sean. to Thanks talk very to you. Much. Cheers, mate. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton Stevens, and the very funny Sean Walsh. Thanks to him for being my guest, and thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or your own choice of podcast provider. I mean, it's up to you. I'm not a fascist. You do whatever you want. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, if you wish. Again, I'm not twisting your arm. If you feel like it, and only if you feel like it, you can break this podcast and leave a review. You may be interested in hearing our theme tune in full, in which case just go to Spotify and search My Time Capsule Theme Tune by Pass the Peas Music. In your own time, obviously. Or don't even bother. Completely in your hands. This was a cast-off production, produced by John Fenton Stevens. You can take that information on board if you so choose, or just ignore it. It's entirely up to your very good selves. Now, piss off, that's an order. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.